Our top story this week, a dramatic setback in Galveston as expeditionary forces of Operation Southern Lights experience heavy casualties following a surprise attack by an overwhelming reanimate force. Military planners had declared the operation a success and the area secured, but in the early hours of Friday morning an unexpected force estimated to be in the hundreds of thousands descended on one of the refineries causing U.S. forces to abandon the facility in an engagement hallmarked by heavy fighting. Our correspondent in Galveston will have all the available details. Sanitation workers across the country are organizing and threatening a nationwide strike unless granted a special occupation benefit for higher ration credits, arguing that the physical nature of the work requires them to have greater access to ration products. The president weighed in on the matter and then signaled a change in thinking. We'll dissect the situation. A new and deadly doomsday cult attempts an act of sabotage on a government facility in New York. Calling themselves the Legion for the Return of the Lamb, cult followers believe the reanimate pandemic is a precursor to the rapture and look to sabotage efforts to control the crisis. Who is the leader behind this new threat? And who are his followers? The city of Miami gets classified as a stage three quarantine city following four simultaneous wildfire outbreaks within the city limits. Local defense forces have been activated while military assets at Fort Benning, Georgia have been put on high alert. Local officials expressed concern at the speed and number of the outbreaks. We'll sit down with Miami's mayor, Santiago Vasquez. Finally, we'll have Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General William Abibio, back to continue our discussion on the military's evolution to address the threat and the latest thinking from the military's perspective. You're listening to Radio Living America, and I'm your host, Brian Andrews. First, we take you back to Galveston with an update on the tragic events there. Originally considered a total success, invasion forces were dealt a tragic blow this week, resulting in one of the refineries being lost in a surprise attack by an overwhelming reanimate force. Our Kate Malik is on station in Texas with the latest. Brian, we were embedded with the Pelican Island Expeditionary Force Friday night when we woke at around 1 a.m. to the sounds of heavy fighting coming from the southwestern Nautilus refinery. From across Galveston Bay, we could see large explosions and fires raging as aircraft and naval artillery began fire support on Texas City. In a press briefing aboard the USS Donald Cook, Admiral William McCall had this to say. At approximately 0100 hours on Friday morning, a large reanimate force, believed to be numbered as many as 400,000, descended on the assault force tasked with capturing the southwestern Nautilus Texas City refinery. It is our belief that this force represented RAs that had somehow avoided elimination when the Moabs were deployed on Houston. Heavy black smoke from the resultant fires in the city created a smoke screen that allowed the RAs to walk down Interstate 45 undetected, where they followed the noise of the invasion force to Texas City. By the time the nature of the threat was identified, the expeditionary force reported they were surrounded on all sides and requested immediate fire support between their position and Tarpey Park in the hopes of opening a corridor they could egress through. We lost contact with the assault force at 0300 hours. A shift in wind direction from westerly to southeasterly has cleared the smoke over Texas City, and we are aggressively conducting drone reconnaissance of the area to identify any survivors that may be avoiding detection in and around the refinery. However, it is our belief that the expeditionary force was completely destroyed 
as was the refinery. As a proactive measure, Army demolitions teams have blown the I-45 and Seawolf Causeway bridges to isolate the Pelican Island force from the threat. As we speak, the skies over Texas City are filled with reconnaissance drones, and our sources tell us that the reanimates they see occupying the area show signs of extreme trauma, presumably from the Moab blast, and that many reanimates in uniform can be seen walking the streets. Strategists argue that with two of the three refineries being intact, the overall mission can still be deemed a success. But I can tell you that the mood is very somber here as many mourn the loss of their comrades in Texas City. Kate, has there been any word on our correspondent Russell Ferenz, who is embedded with the Southwestern Nautilus Assault Force? You know, Brian, I actually had dinner with Russell here on Pelican Island Thursday night. He was in great spirits following the success at Texas City, and he specifically commented on how high troop morale was following the operation. Sadly, he went back to Texas City that night to continue his assignment, and I'm unaware of any survivors from his unit. Reporting from the front on Pelican Island, I'm Kate Malik. A sad day for our nation indeed. Kate Malik, thank you. Sanitation workers are organizing a national strike to protest new ration limits they say are unfair given the laborious nature of their work. President Stevenson took a stern tone when he weighed in on the subject earlier this week, only to reverse his position by the end of the week. In Washington, D.C., RLA's Chuck Fleming has more. Federal officials and representatives of the newly formed National Sanitation Worker Union met here today to negotiate a strategic labor dispensation for sanitation workers allowing them to have an outsized distribution of ration credits. But the meeting soon turned to chaos. What do we want? Justice! What do we want? Now! What do we want? Justice! What do we want? Now! What Union representatives were particularly incensed following some very tough talk by President Stevenson earlier this week as he prepared to board Marine One. I find it appalling that in a time of national crisis, the sanitation workers are threatening the government and the people of this country with a strike. Let me be very clear about this. Any sanitation worker who goes on strike will be denied any federal assistance, including access to federally controlled items on the ration list. However, the president's critics on both sides of the aisle we're quick to point out that the president doesn't have the authority to deny any American access to their ration allowance. Furthermore, a Citadel research poll conducted later in the week showed that an overwhelming number of Americans felt that sanitation services were critical to their well-being and most indicated they would be willing to see greater ration credit restrictions so that more could be available for sanitation workers. All this prompted these comments from the White House press secretary today. The president values the work of the sanitation men and women of this country very much. And I think the media has taken his words out of context. I think anyone who listened to the president's tone and watched the president's body language can recognize he was being very tongue in cheek. Brian, even before the pandemic, sanitation workers in the U.S. had higher rates of work-related deaths than police or firefighters. And since the pandemic began, Sanitation workers have been shown to have a 35% greater likelihood of infection than any other public service employee. Furthermore, with an estimated 116,000 waste handlers 
hauling almost a quarter billion tons of waste and recycling per year, proponents of the increases argue that waste haulers should receive the same strategic occupation classification that is granted to the agricultural and military community. One waste handler we caught up with at the protest had this to say. I drive a truck 12 fucking hours a day by myself. You know how big a route that is? You know how much goddamned garbage that is? When my wife came back from the store and showed me the groceries for the week she was allowed to buy, I was like, hold on. It was like, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. My company gets a special credit to put gas in my truck. Why can't I get a special credit to put gas in me? Union leaders will be meeting with representatives from the Department of Strategic Resources later today, and it is expected that at least an interim deal will be reached. From Washington, D.C., I'm Chuck Fleming. When we return, a secret society of doomsday cultists conduct an act of domestic terrorism. We'll provide you with all the details. I'm Ryan. I own a bakery on Market Street. I'm coach of the high school basketball team, and I'm proud to be an operator of the squad automatic weapon with my local defense force. I'm Bill. I have three kids, two girls and a boy. I manage a warehouse for a building supply company, and I'm proud to be a rifleman with a medic designation in my local defense force. I'm Erica. Work and family don't leave me with much free time, but what free time I do have, I spend proudly as a grenadier and radio operator in my local defense force. I'm Tom. I just started my freshman year of high school. My favorite subject is history, and I'm a midfielder on the JV lacrosse team. But two afternoons a week and one day per weekend, I'm proud to be a logistics adjutant third class with my local defense force. These are your fellow citizens, citizen soldiers. They train part-time and protect the communities that they care about full-time. With varied career opportunities, increased benefits and new allowances for combat roles, Inquire at your local Defense Force recruiting station about how you can help make a difference and back the attack. We take you now to the story of a secret society determined to undermine the government's efforts to control the pandemic. They call themselves the Legion for the Return of the Lamb, and they're attempting acts of violence in an effort to speed what they believe is the apocalypse. Our Miles Duggan has been following this story and reports on the latest from Schenectady, New York. Thanks, Brian. It was shortly after lunchtime yesterday that a local man was shot and killed here in what's being described as an attempted act of domestic terrorism. And while the perpetrator did not survive his encounter with local law enforcement, he did make his intentions clear. From a press briefing this morning, Schenectady's chief of police, Captain Creighton Peters, said this. At 12.30 p.m. yesterday, Officers of the Schenectady Police Department, acting on a call of suspicious activity, encountered Carl Ekman as he attempted to place a homemade explosive device at the rear entrance of the Schenectady Local Defense Force Armory near Union College. Sir, please put the bag on the ground and walk toward me with your hands behind your head. You are doing the work of the beast. The seals must be broken. Please, sir, just put the bag on the ground and walk towards me with your hands behind your head. The unrighteous will be damned and the righteous will bask in God's glory. 
While responding officers were attempting to negotiate his surrender, Mr. Ekman detonated the device, killing himself and causing minor damage to the armory. No officers were injured in the blast. We are unsure of Mr. Ekman's motives, but this is being treated as an act of domestic terrorism, and federal authorities are conducting an investigation with the support of local law enforcement. Now, our investigative team tells us that Carl Ekman, a 42-year-old married father of three, was a lifelong resident of Schenectady with no prior history of violence or political extremism. We caught up with a neighbor, Brooke Houtman, earlier today. I, I just can't. I, I mean, none of us can. It's just so unbelievable. I've known the Ekmans for 20 years. My husband went to high school with Carl. It's just unbelievable that he would do this. He and Kate seem so happy. Carl had been keeping to himself a little the last couple of months, but I never would have thought. I just don't understand how this is possible. What has authorities concerned are Ekman's final words, which were repeated verbatim from a recent audio file released on the deep web by a user calling himself John of the Rapture, in which he said this. The seals have been broken out of order. The sixth seal was arrogantly broken by man's own hand some time ago. The fourth seal is now broken. Even the most pompous and conceited can see the rider on his pale horse. Do not bow to the beast and his government and his economy. Let the fifth seal be broken. Accept martyrdom and bask in the light of God. Later in the same recording, he goes on to say that the dead walking the earth has been foretold and that the government's attempts to control the crisis really reflect an attempt by evil forces to prevent the second coming of Christ. These kinds of acts of domestic terrorism aren't new and certainly precede the pandemic, but what has authorities concerned is that there have been many acts of violence against government facilities in the last six months where no one was captured alive. And while they were previously believed to be unrelated, authorities are now speculating they may have all been connected. In an interview with CBC News Today, Department of Homeland Security Chief Stanley Edwards said this. There's definitely more organization going on with this group than we had previously anticipated, and we know almost nothing about them. We have no idea who John of the Rapture is or where he is broadcasting from, although based on the background noise we've heard in some of his recording, it wouldn't surprise us if he's located in a dead city somewhere and then somehow gets the recording out to a safe zone where they're uploaded to the deep internet. Of the acts or attempted acts of domestic terrorism that we've experienced since the pandemic, we think that at least six were committed by members of the Legion for the Return of the Lamb. Officials are advising people to be on the lookout for signs that a friend or family member has associated themselves with a cult. Those signs can include a loss of spontaneity and sense of humor, a new attitude towards friends and family members that they can never be good enough, hyperactivity centered around agendas that supersede personal goals or interests, and increasing isolation from friends and family members. Officials are advising that if you believe someone you know is associating with the Legion for the Return of the Lamb, to contact law enforcement immediately. Back to you, Brian. Miles Duggan in New York, thank you. The city of Miami was placed on heightened alert as concurrent wildfire outbreaks happen across multiple city districts. As the pandemic follows a pattern that has led to the decimation of so many cities in the United States and across the world, local and national authorities vow to be proactive in containing the threat. For more on the story, we go to Lucy Estevez in Miami, Florida. Thank you, Brian. 
Things have been busy here at Jackson Memorial Hospital since the wildfire outbreaks began earlier this week. It all began in the Alapata neighborhood of Miami, but quickly spread to Grapeland Heights and Little Havana, and most recent reports indicate mass infection in Coconut Grove. Miami's local defense force has been mobilized, and they are aggressively canvassing infected neighborhoods, encouraging the symptomatic to surrender to quarantine before the outbreak reaches its second stage or reanimation. We are being told that the neighborhood compliance has been good, but as a precautionary measure, defensive perimeters are being established within the infected neighborhoods to allow for optionality by military forces should the outbreak mature. I can tell you that at the hospital complex here, which includes Jackson Memorial, the Miami VA, and the University of Miami Hospital, engineers have been busy since yesterday working through the night to make the area more secure. We caught up with Miami's mayor, Santiago Vasquez, and he told us this. Miamians are a tough, tough people. People think of Miami and all they think of is Miami Beach and hotels and vacations and retirees. But the people of Miami are a disciplined, proud people who will do the right thing to weather this crisis. The same way we have weathered so many other crises in the past. We have an excellent law enforcement. We have one of the biggest local defense forces in the country. And we have a spirit that is unique to our city. We have been preparing our city ever since Houston, our neighbor across the Gulf of Mexico fell. I can tell you, I can promise you that as long as I am alive, I will not surrender my city to this, this disease. Mayor Vasquez will not be alone in the fight to keep the outbreaks contained. Florida Governor Pete Peterson ordered local defensive forces in Pembroke Pines and Fort Lauderdale to fully mobilize and be prepared to provide assistance in Miami. And Army High Command officially placed Fort Benning in Georgia to go on high alert and be prepared to deploy to southern Florida. There is much at stake here. Miami represents an important port facility for the southeastern United States, and a loss of this city would leave New Orleans the only major port facility remaining in this region of the country, wedged between two large dead cities. Reporting live from Miami, Florida, I'm Lucy Estevez. Back to you, Brian. After the break, we'll be joined by General William Abibio for the second installment of our two-part interview. Worried new ration credit limits are going to leave your cupboards bare? Come on down to Hanson's Home and Garden and get set up with a home aquaponics system to help supplement those Spartan government restrictions. Come talk to one of our aquaculture specialists. Whether you want to grow Blue Nile tilapia, Rocky Mountain tilapia, White tilapia, or some other kind of tilapia, we can show you a system that will fit all budgets. Tired of tilapia? Our experts can set you up to grow any one or more of our species of catfish. And that's not all. Don't get caught hungry if your town or city begins rationing vegetables. Your Hanson's Home and Garden Aquaponics Kit could be used to grow everything from lettuce to kale to spinach to arugula right alongside your fish. Aquaculture is a great way to get the whole family involved and give you the peace of mind that you have control of what gets on your family's dinner table. And remember, you can find it all at Hanson's Home and Garden. I'm joined now by Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General William Abibio, for the second installment of RLA's discussion table with the General. General Abibio, let me begin by saying that I think I speak for a nation when I say we mourn the setback at Galveston. 
Can you help us understand what went wrong? It should be obvious. The Moab failed to achieve its primary objective. Had atmospheric conditions been different, we would have seen that reanimate force heading towards the task force assigned to southwestern Nautilus. But we wouldn't have been expecting it. We are as surprised as we are disappointed that the Moab failed to eliminate the threat. I can tell you, had we dropped that device on a city of living people, the concussive blast would have killed every single one of them. The shockwave alone should have liquefied the reanimate's brain. But this should serve as an example that this is a new threat to the military, and our responses to it are still evolving. General, people have suggested it would be a good use of military assets to try and retake a dead city, both for humanitarian as well as practical reasons. They particularly point to the West Coast, where thousands upon thousands are believed to be holding on inside the cities under unimaginable conditions, and it's a coast where not a single deep water port remains in government hands. What do you say to those who would like to see a major offensive in, say, Los Angeles or San Francisco? I tell them the military has bigger priorities. Forget the fact that an operation that size would require a commitment of almost all our military's assets. And forget that the kind of urban warfare you're talking about would have extremely high casualties associated with it. We simply have higher priorities at this time. Give us an example of a top priority. Well, maintaining full-strength bases near cities that are still healthy would certainly qualify. We need to be judicious with our assets. And one way to keep them at full strength is to stop cities from becoming problematic in the first place. Also, we consider it a high priority to keep our agricultural centers infection-free. This requires an especially heavy commitment in California, where the Central Valley borders so many infected zones and requires a large standing military presence on a perpetual state of high alert. But some have argued we have overcommitted to our agricultural centers. Even with the new ration standards, we still don't have a limitation on most grain-based products. You have to remember, it's not just ourselves we need to worry about. The United States is still a global resource. Before the pandemic, the United States was growing about 63 million tons of grain, of which we exported about 25 million tons. Other countries have fared even worse than the U.S., and they depend on our agricultural exports. If we fail to deliver because we can't secure our national breadbaskets, many countries that are barely hanging on as it is will completely fall. What would you say to those that argue the United States should worry about its own citizens first? I would say that's exactly what we are doing. Look, somewhere in time, we hope, we're dealing with this crisis beyond our own borders. It's going to be a lot easier to deal with if we still have partners around the world that haven't gone into the abyss. General, the United States is very manageable in the context of this crisis as far as our eastern and western borders are concerned. But what about to the north and to the south? Do you worry from that perspective? I can tell you for a fact, the Canadians are much more concerned with their southern border than we are with our northern border. And why is that? There's millions more reanimated in California alone than there are in all of Canada. In fact, they've materially stepped up security on their southern border in an attempt to keep out Americans who have this perception 
that the crisis just doesn't get to Canada. And Mexico? Similarly, Mexico is very troubled by the number of reanimates that are wandering around just over their northern border. They have outbreak problems similar to ours, but they take a much more... Hang on. I want to choose my words carefully here. Let's just say they take a much more corporal approach to outbreak than we have in the past. And it seems to have a positive outcome as it relates to security. So, to answer your question, no. Border security is not something we view as an incremental threat. If the military isn't planning on confronting the threat in the cities that have fallen, are there at least strategies in place to contain the reanimates in those cities? Of course. Containment is a top priority, and we've had enormous success with the RAP-B program. RAP-B? It stands for Reanimate Positioning Beacon, and they've proven to be very effective. In fact, I don't know if we'd be able to contain the threat on the West Coast without them. Please expand for our listeners. A RAP-B is a device designed to draw the attention of a reanimate. As we all know, the enemy isn't capable of any kind of thought. It's totally singular in its focus. They're attracted to changes in light, sound, any kind of movement, anything that could suggest there's a living organism nearby. A RAP-B is a device we deploy in dead cities by way of drone. Once in position, we can control the device via satellite uplink, and each device is capable of making noise, vibrating, and projecting holographic images. And this has been successful at keeping the reanimates from leaving the cities? It's been very effective at keeping them localized. And, in fact, if we could get people to stop going into dead zones with the intention of looting abandoned houses only to come out infected, I think it would go a long way to stopping the expansion of the pandemic. General, we're almost out of time. Any other updates on the armed forces you'd like to highlight? Well, we're making great strides in equipment to keep our troops safe and effective. Remember, it was little more than a year ago that our planes, tanks, and artillery were designed around destroying other planes, tanks, and artillery. We've done a great job retooling our equipment to be exclusively used for anti-personnel operations. As an example, the M1 Abrams tank is now exclusively outfitted for the newly updated 120mm canister round. It's devastatingly lethal. Believe me, if you're downwind when the M1 fires this, you're going to want to make sure you're wearing your M40 bioweapons mask because any RAs that are upwind are going to be aerosoled into a fine red mist. Thank you, General Abibio. That concludes this week's program. For Radio Living America, I'm Brian Andrews, asking that you stay safe, stay alert, and stay in the fight. <laughs>